Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace, and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. We're dealing with the prosperity of the soul. It's still the primacy of God's word as the broad theme. Our sub-theme is the prosperity of the soul. Last week, we dealt with uh, part one where we literally define prosperity totally or completely. Um, In my mind, there are five expressions of it. Spiritual prosperity. There's uh, mental prosperity with wisdom. There's uh, relational prosperity where you grow, you prosper socially. All your relationships are accurate um, before the Lord. There's physical prosperity where you're in divine health. Right? No use being financially rich and you're sick. There's financial prosperity as well. Okay? So, um, and then we looked at several Hebrew words. One Greek word, yodu, is the Greek word, to prosper along the way, to embark upon a journey and receive help or grace as you move and reach the God-determined outcome. Also means to be profitable or to suck, to succeed. Okay, let me test you quickly. What, what, what the Hebrew words, you should know them by now. Uh, the famous one was Salasalia, right? That means to, to break out mightily, right? To push forth, right? We, we summarize that word into break out, break forth, break, break through. It also means to be victorious, to be profitable, to, to suck seed, okay? Another word, right? Kidneys, right? Sakal, to, to have wisdom. Uh, to have an intelligence, to be circumspect, to act wisely, to act with insight. Um, you get a God idea. It also means we, we extrapolated it to be filled with witty inventions, um, where you have the creativity of God working within you. And in any situation, it's not just to invent things, but you act with insight, you act with, with wisdom. You don't operate as a fool, right, with, with no intelligence or insight. So it's to be filled with, filled with sakal. Another word quickly. Shalom, shalom, double peace, as it were, right? Um, welfare, security, well-being. To be peaceful is to not just have an emotional state called peace. Peace is not an emotion. Peace is a person. God is the prince of peace. Peace is one of his names. It's the substance of who God is. So when we say be filled with peace, it's not just a good emotional of tranquility and repose and ease. All that's part of it. But it's really to adopt a God attribute and nature within your being, right? And um, I say this to you. For me, Psalm 122 is really opening up, right? Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, right? We are the new Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of the, of the church. May peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. Walls surround palaces. A palace is only as protected as the strength of its Walls. The praise may peace be within your walls, and in your palaces may prosperity. So peace surrounds prosperity. Peace undergirds prosperity. No prosperity is true biblical prosperity in all respects. 
unless it's built upon the foundation of, of, of peace. Okay? Peace will sustain your prosperous state. I'll talk more to peace shortly. And there was another word. Two more words quickly. Yatab, which means? To do good. Good, uh, to act kindly, to, good, to do good, or to have a sense of well-being. It's most often used colloquially as it is well, or it goes well with, it goes well with you. The Shunammite, what does Shunam mean? Or Shunammite mean? Every student should know this. Shunam, double rest. Right? Remember double rest? I'm talking about rest tonight. Double rest. And um, the, 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 the boy that she received as a gift from God uh, because she entertained the prophets, remember? She built, she altered the structure. She was blessed with the child. The child eventually dies. Sometime later, the prophet visits and he sends his prophet, asks the lady, how goes it with you? How goes it with your house? How goes it with the child? And she said, it, will, it shall be well, or it will be well. And later on, she changes the confession to, it is well. She migrates from, it will be well, to it, it is well, right? So, and wellness, Yatab, speaks of you being in a state of well-being. Natural physical circumstances, she wasn't in a state of well-being. Child is dead. But a prophetic reality is, it is well. And I believe, you know, as we embark upon this, this path of prosperity in all respects, not just materially, as we study it, I want to encourage you, no matter even if your natural circumstances presently do not match up with what we are proclaiming, your position must be, I'm reaching out for these things. So your, 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 your description of your circumstance must be, it is, it is well, okay? It is well. Okay, we're going to continue with the prosperity of the soul. I've entitled this, Obedience to God's Word Brings Rest, Peace, and Prosperity to the Soul. I primarily want to talk about the rest of the soul. The rest of the soul. Third John verse 2, you should know it by now. Beloved, I pray that you would, that in all respects you would prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. So prospering in all respects is indicative of a prosperous soul for the Son of God. It might not be true in the world because they can prosper without having a prosperous soul. But for us in the kingdom, our expression of prosperity is an expression of our inward state. Right? We are outwardly prosperous because we've attained the prosperity of our, of our souls. From a prosperous soul, we seek to exhibit prosperity in all respects in our lives. Amen? If that is true, then we've got to ensure that our soul gets to the place called Yodu. Greek prosper. I wish that you prosper. Yodu is a journey leaving point A, arriving at point B. And as you go, you get help or grace along the way. Right? The destination in terms of the soul, if, if, if the idea of prosperity relates to a journey, leaving one point and arriving, culminating a journey at a preferred place, 
which is a God-determined place, not, not you, a God-determined destination. If that is the case, what then is the destination for the soul? The prosperity of the soul as you embark and you move is to come to a place of absolute rest in God. Right? We'll define what rest is. Right? A few weeks ago, I defined it in terms of, for example, when the soul unquestioningly and yieldingly obeys the dictates of the Spirit of the Lord or its promptings within your spirit. So the Spirit of the Lord brings the word in your spirit. Your soul does not retaliate or question that. It unquestioningly follows the lead of God via the Spirit in your spirit. The soul does not rebel against that. Okay? The soul heals and follows it without rebellion. The soul doesn't rationalize uh, or, or choose to negotiate whether this is of God or not. The spirit, the mind of your spirit discerns that, and the mind of your soul, the emotions of your soul, and the will of your soul simply follow suit. If you do that consistently, you're going to bring your soul into a place called rest for the soul. And it's only from the position of rest you are eligible to function from in terms of kingdom purposes. Right now, God is sitting in a position, a day, a seventh day called Sabbath rest that He created from which He's expediting all of His purposes. Our soul in our humanity must come to that place called the repose or the Sabbath rest of the Lord. A prosperous soul is a soul that has entered divine rest. So tell your neighbor, it is well with you, now rest. It is well with you, now rest. Easier said than done. We're going to show you how. Okay? And I really pray, I'm beginning to practice this in my own life. I want to be perpetually in a season, in a state called rest. Right? I'm adding middle names to my name as I go. Now it's Randolph, Prosperous, Restful, Barnwood. Okay? Um, when you see me, I must be the depiction of rest. Because I'll demonstrate to you shortly, it's from the position of rest that your prosperity will, will come to you. Rest and peace go together, and we will we'll shortly um, um, deal with that. Amen? Now, look at the scripture right at the bottom. Psalm 116, verse 7, the first part says, Return unto your rest, O my soul. If the soul is to return to the place called rest, that means it once was there, and it left. Right? You only return to a place that you departed from. The psalmist says, my soul return to your rest. And for those of you who know, that, know, the, the, know the latter part of this psalm, it says, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Okay? And um, I really want to encourage us all. Please, brethren, think about these things very seriously. As we, as we go on this evening, analyze your own life and ask yourself seriously, is Audrey's soul in rest. If it is in unrest, you're never going to get the kind of prosperity in all respects that God has for you. Hmm? 
All of you must examine yourself and test yourself in this. Right? Gordon, you must ask yourself, is my soul in perfect divine rest? Because if it's in any state of unrest, I will not have God results in my life. I will not have, uh, my, my soul will not prosper, and hence every other expression of prosperity will be aborted. Amen? So, let's just turn over the page, get straight into it. You can talk, just ramble on by introduction on page one, but you can read all of that, some stuff we have covered already, right? Um, in, the, in, in the Greek, it's the, the rest is, sorry, the, the Hebrew monarch, which means quiet, a settled spot, or a home, right? Home should be a place of rest. And if the church of God is the family of God, when we come here, we should be in a place of rest. When you come to the family of God, the church of God, this should be the most restful, stressless environment. If you come to church and your experience of church is stress, not rest, either something wrong with you or there's something wrong with the culture of the gathering. Amen? I want to encourage you to start to practice this. This, if I say come to the gathering, it should be the most alluring place. The fact that we are coming together. This is the place where the family of God gathers. So figuratively, um, this word monarch implies a home or a family. You know when you work and you have a stressful day at work, you long just to get home, eh? It's like, sure, they can, it, it can vava-voom there all they want to, but I know the moment I enter the threshold of my door, it's like peace, calm. Some of us have undress in our homes. That's bad. Because you have no place where you have to lay your head. Lay your head is a depiction of sleep, the perfect form of rest. There you cut off. There you get replenished. There you get revived. Amen? Tell your neighbor, your home must be your rest. Your home must be your rest. That's true in the natural, but more so in the spirit. This house must really be a house of rest. There must be no striving, no human perspiration, no endeavors, or no expressions of carnality or fleshly pursuit. This must be a clean place, a pure place, a place of no agitation, no anxiety, a place of confident repose in, the, in our God, a place of absolute rest. Okay, where is the place where I might lay my rest? Okay, but you have created for me a temple, he said to Solomon. God is always looking for a place to lay his head. Foxes have holes, birds have nets. The Son of Man has no place where he, where he can lay his head. What does head speak of? Government, right? Head speaks of government. It, it speaks of the mind of Christ, the headship of Christ. And he is saying, I'm looking for a place where I want to lay my government, my headship, put my mind there. And lay is the depiction of rest. And I want to encourage us all, the mind of Christ wants to rest and abide here. The government of God. You can create the conditions for that by creating a culture free of any kind of anxiety, stress, competition, etc. Jesus said these words. 
in Matthew 11:28. Well known. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will do what? Find rest for what? You don't need rest for your spirit. You need rest for your souls. You will find rest for your soul. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now look at the table. But I just, I, you know, I'm a teacher at heart. So I like, I recall when I was teaching, I used to love tabular expressions of concepts, especially when comparisons need to be made. So if you compare verse 28 to verse 29, in verse 28, the rest is received. But in verse 29, the rest is found. Right? Verse 28, come to me, all you are weary, I will give you rest. So the rest in verse 28 is given. The rest in verse 29 is found. Okay? So all you need to do to receive the rest in verse 28 is to come to him. All you need to do to find the rest of verse 29 is to learn of him. The one is given, so it must be received. The one is found, so it must be inquired of. It, you must learn. So there's a rest that you receive, but there's a rest that you find. Different. I can give you rest. That's the person of Christ giving you rest. But there's a quality of rest that you are responsible for, that you must find. Right? There's a dual position here. Right? A dual position. And so the person of Christ gives me rest. He said, I will. Everyone say, I will. So you come to me, I will. Person, I give you rest. That's your initial salvation experience. And I believe it's a rest for your spirit. I will give you rest. But from that point onwards, your responsibility is, you must learn of me and you will find rest. So, the word learn implies activating principles. So the one rest that is given is from the person of Christ. person of Christ gives you rest, but the principles of Christ permit you to find rest. Um, the, the, the person of Christ will grant you things, but if you learn principles, you find it. Okay? Um, Dr. Tryon said this a few um, weeks ago that the person of Christ makes you holy, but the principles of Christ give you success. Right? And so, very, very important. So, what we are after is the rest that we need to find for our souls. And the soul needs to return to its rest. Same um, verse in the Amplified. Come to me, all you labor and are heavy laden and are overburdened, and I will cause you to rest. I will ease and relieve and refresh your souls. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle, meek, and humble, lowly in heart. You will find rest, relief and ease, and refreshment and recreation and blessed quiet for your souls. Beautifully stated it. My favorite rendering of this verse is from the message. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you will recover your life. 
I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Beautifully encapsulated. I love the phrase, watch, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced, no human sweat endeavor, learn the unforced natural expressions of the rhythms of grace in your life. Tap into the principle and you will function in rest. The things you will not have to sweat to do to get results. You will simply tap into a principle and you get the God result. Amen? So tell your neighbor, rest in the Lord. Uh, tell another person, return, 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 return. Right? I, this word, if ever there was a word of the Lord for me, I felt like I was preparing the study for myself. <laughs> it was this particular study. Right? And I'm going to deliberately even rest physically, even in the natural. Hmm? I believe I had a problem with this for all my life. I'm, it's confession time now. I'm a workaholic by nature. My father works seven days a week, six in the morning to seven at night. That's how I knew him. I never saw my father except from about half past seven every evening, seven days a week for all my life. My recollections of him coming home as a man tired, full of dagger, cement, right? Working the entire life. It's good to have a good work ethic, but you must work not by human perspiration according to the flesh. Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. He says, I labored. I did labor, I worked, yet not I. But it's grace in me. So I love the message. It says, tap into the unforced rhythms of, of grace. But apart from that, God created the world in six days. Creative order. The world and the entire universe. All that's in it. And he created a special day which he says rest. And the Bible says, and God ceased from all the works that he had done. And he entered into a specific epoch of time. Not, it's not an epoch of time for me. It's a state of being from he which he presently functions. It's called rest. Amen? Now please, rest is not laziness. Don't misinterpret me and leave here. That's all you heard. Randolph said we must rest more. So hallelujah. Your legs are up and you're doing nothing. No, that's not the point. If you understand this economy... You will do more in rest and get more results. But it will be effortless. It will, be, it will not be a drag, a drudgery. You, it will be, this is the normal functioning of the Lord. How God did it, we look at quickly on page 3. And then so we can emulate Him. Now, you know, for example, just before, don't refer to your notes. Just listen. Thamo explained this to us. This to us at several apostolic schools of ministry. God made the world in six days, not 24-hour periods, six yoms. The, Greek word, the Hebrew word for day is yom. Six lengths of time, six epochs of uncertain duration. Right? Um, on the seventh day, he made a day and it was a Sabbath. The Bible says the Lord ceased from all his labor and he entered into his Sabbath never to come out of it. Thamo makes a controversial statement very often for which is very misunderstood. 
He said, from that point onwards, God has never done a single thing again in his life. He has not gotten up from a position called cessation from work, repose, I rest. Right now, God is in a state where he's literally incarcerated himself. He's relegated himself, bound himself literally to a, to a, to a platform of functioning called rest. But now you can say, but God is working because he's working today. Yeah, he is working, but he's not working in the way that you understand he's working. He's, he's, in, he's, in, he's in absolute rest right now. But when he does work, what is happening is humans on the planet are simply locking into principles that he has installed in the creative order. Those principles ensure that everything that God created regulates, sustains, and perpetuates itself through time. The law of gravity says, okay, if I drop this battery, Will it go up to the roof or down to the floor? Do you think as I drop it, God's going to get off his throne and say, Randolph, I'm going to ensure now, I'll be personally involved to ensure it falls down and not up. Do you think he's going to get out of rest to ensure that this thing functions according to his intention? So let's test it. Must you test it? Do you think God is highly disturbed in the heavens over what I just did? Why does this not go to the roof? God has instituted a law of physics which humans call gravity. Everything gravitates towards the center of the earth. God made it so within our atmospheric system. Go beyond that, you enter space where the law doesn't work. In a particular context, laws, rules, and principles apply. Right? So, if a farmer takes a milliseed and he plants it and nurtures it under the right conditions... What will happen in time? Do you think God is getting up from his throne and actively ensuring that this thing grows? No. He says, I'll establish a principle, a rule, or a law, a policy, if you would, that by which creation is going to sustain and regulate itself. If human beings on the planet tap into that principle, the result can almost be guaranteed. So, for example, Psalm 130 says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It will be like the oil that was poured on Aaron's head, went to Aaron's beard, went to his garments, to the edge, the furthest extremity of his, of his, of his priestly garb, the edge of his robe. It will be like the dew on Mount Hermon, right, that flows, etc. And the last verse says, For there the Lord does what? Command a blessing. So if you want a, the, 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 the experience called a commanded blessing, all you must do is create the condition. The condition is unity, and the result will be almost effortless, automatic. It's not that God will actively get up and do things. Hmm? He, you, by your behavior, you, by your behavior, lock into a principle when you obey God's rules and you generate a result, it's like God programmed everything to function this way. Right? It's like he set everything on automatic. You do this, you get that result. Cause and effect. You do this, you get that result. You break this law, right? you abuse the law, you apply the law inaccurately, 
You jump out of the airplane, you'll die. Gravity will ensure that that happens. Right? The law can be used for good or for bad. But if you use my principles accurately and obediently, I will ensure and guarantee the outcome. Okay? I will ensure. So to the measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. Simple. A simple principle. Right? Um, if you show mercy, you will receive mercy. Do I pray for mercy? Yes, sometimes. But I don't even have to pray for mercy if I, in my life, show mercy to everyone. Guess what? God is obligated to be merciful to me. Why? I locked into a principle called show mercy. So in the day when I need mercy, I know, let me just say this. I can boast about this. I can confidently say it for all, in front of all of you. In the day when Randolph Palmer needs a merciful act from God, I know he will get it. Why? Because I've demonstrated time and time, over and over in my life, to how to be merciful to somebody else who needs it or who should be judged. Right? So, you don't, I don't need to pray for mercy. I know I'll get it. Why? I mean, I've engaged a, a principle. Right? So, when you come, God, this is how God made everything in six days. And God says, it's finished. It can regulate itself. It's not to say, please don't get this perception that God is detached from what He created. Don't get the perception that God is aloof from the creative order. He's not aloof. On the contrary, He's very intricately involved because the very thing that He created functions by laws and principles that are inherent to His nature. So He's intimately involved with, with everything. Okay, So everything runs according to a, a, a fixed order. Hebrews 4, verse 9, says the following. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from His works as God did from His. Now, if that is God's position of rest and repose, okay, do you know what I think? Just some, It comes to me now. You know why I... What will cause God to really, I don't know if you can call it unrest, but God to awaken from that position. One of the things I, I, was, I was thinking about this week is forgiveness. Everyone say forgiveness. When, when um, Stephen, remember that stoning? Stephen's last words before he died was, Father, forgive them of their sin. And do not hold the sin against their charge. Do you know what happened in the heavens? Jesus should be seated at the right hand. The Bible says, he says, I saw the Son of Man standing. Somebody did something in the earth that caused Christ to shift his position in the heavens from a seated position. It recruited his attention so much. You see, he's seated knowing that everything will regulate and function according to how it's been programmed. Right? And I believe the only time somebody will cause God, yes, I mean, he forgave them and he would have received forgiveness. Um, I, receive, I believe the expression of forgiveness is the highest, this is my personal opinion, the highest expression of godness or God quality that anybody can come to. Hmm? You can have his peace, you can be long-suffering, kind, forbearing, but are you forgiving? 
And it causes God to stand up okay, and to regard you. To personally meet the man when he comes in glory. Okay. Now, I like this. Listen here. This verse says, as God sees from his works and entered into his rest, so must we. Okay. So aren't you tired of struggling and in your own flesh to get certain results, right? And I believe God's going to cause this house to enter into a new phase of restful work with greater results. Okay, the law, what they call in economics, I forget it now. The law of increasing marginal returns or something like that. You know, little, little input generates for you a greater output. Okay? Now, listen carefully to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31. I'm going to put this light off. I can feel the heat. On my person. I know it's not the Holy Ghost. It's this light. (laughs) Jeremiah 31 says the following. Verse 35. Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for day and the fixed order. Everyone say the fixed order. God has programmed the entire universe to function by a fixed order of the moon, the stars, for light by day, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. And the Lord of hosts is its name. There's a beautiful psalm about waves where it says, the seas crash and they come and no further. And they go back because he said so. Next time you go to the beach, uh, Chris, you're a beach man, and you're surfing there, think about that even this wave is functioning by a law that God instituted. And God is not actively watching every single wave on every single beach to say that you only go so far and you go back. Right? When things malfunction, we get tsunamis and things. The earth malfunctions when the image of God in sons of God are marred. And then all of creation goes out in a cosmic groan. The groan right now is for the manifestation of the sons of God. Then creation, I believe, will come back to its rest position when the sons of God come back to their rest position. Okay? So much depends on us, right? So in this, in this verse, God says everything is functioning according to a fixed order. If this fixed order, God says, depart from me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel also will cease from being a nation before me forever. Okay? The order, the principles that govern and regulate creation will never change, will never depart from God. If they do, Israel will cease, in this context, will cease, the offspring of Israel will cease from being a nation before me for forever. Right? Now look at, just in the, the paragraph below that, I wrote the following. Um, where it is now? I've said that about the cosmic groan, etc., etc. God is in perpetual rest. He sustains everything by laws and principles that He has set up, that He has enacted. He never ever comes out of this rest. On, let's go to the next page quickly. Just to summarize that, I want to labor the point. Rest then for us is a position of repose after the installation and activation of principles 
governing the effective functioning of something. Please catch this in your spirit. It's a position of rest and repose after the installation and the activation of principles governing the effective functioning of something. Okay? Right now, for example, I'm in rest regarding the cleanup of this place externally. Sean and Fiona have taken that over, that responsibility. I don't even think about it anymore. What has happened? In a sense, we've installed a principle that that would be taken care of. Right? So, in a sense, I can work to establish that. Somebody has come to the party, but now I don't even think about it before I had to think about it. Right? Every month. Right? So, now I'm in rest. I've ceased from that work by the installation of a principle. If the principle functions, I'm in rest. Hmm? You can apply this concept to your business. You can apply it to your family. You can apply it to any context. What is causing you undue labor, unnecessary work? If you can simply be like God, be like your creator in your world, and simply put a simple plan into operation, you can, like the creator did, establish a principle where in that department of your life, you come into a place called rest, where you cease from your labor, because a principle now is working for you, and you work less. Hmm? You thinking, Crystal? Where to apply this principle? Okay. So that even, the point is, even in your absence, the principle works because it's been properly installed. So it's like God can be away from everything, literally, and things will function if the principles are observed. But the moment the principles are not observed, things go horribly wrong and things go, things go all right. Okay? If, for example, I install certain principles for this house to function, and let's say everyone toes the line, it could, I could very well go away from here for a whole year, come back, and still find there is a church though. <laughs> and that not just there is maintenance, but there's a movement to the next level. Right? If the principles are observed. Okay? I'll talk more about this in two weeks' time. But just for now, just say to the person next to you, you can bring your father into greater rest. You can bring your father into greater rest. I'll talk about that principle later, right? Talk about that later in the subsequent session. Let's read it again. I know I don't want to rush this, but I'll make sure we all understand this. Let's go away with something to do, something practical to do, right? Don't get so philosophical. You know all the Greek and Hebrew words, but you've done nothing to show a fruit in your life about this teaching. Right? You know, shalva, shalah, salia, shalom, shalom, iodu. And I say, but you're not prospering. Ah, but I know the Greek and Hebrew words, but what's the point? Right? Do something. So, uh, and go leave this place and ask yourself, what principle of God can I activate in my life? Install it where the thing will work for me without me having to slavishly work to generate the results. If I just bring myself into compliance, it can be any principle. I'll give you a few examples later. Um, and then that's in reference to the word of the Lord, but also apply it practically in your own life. What things can I do practically in my life to alleviate the sense of work, of strain, 
of struggle. Right? I, I really believe, everyone says Sakal, I really believe some of us can do some practical things, even just in our home itself. Never mind going to your work. Just there where you stay, where it will even relieve you of certain burdens. Amen? So come into rest. Return to your rest. Oh my soul. Amen? Then it says, the perpetuity of this work is sustained by continuously upholding principles for its continued and effective function. It must be sustained by the continuous upholding of the principles. As long as the principle is enforced and applied, the God-intended result will always materialize. Right? Will always materialize. Hebrews 4 verse 4 to 6 says the following. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Uh, God is talking here about Israel. Remember Israel, after 11 days, came to the bottom, the south of the promised land near Hebron. Spies were sent in to spy. Ten came back with a negative report. And they basically infected the entire community with fear and unbelief. Right? And the Bible says they made a decision. They used the mind of the soul to make a decision. Saying, milk and honey, land of milk and honey, not for us. Land of abundance, land of prosperity, not for us. We go back to Egypt. Make a decision. God says, I want, I want you to enter something. For Israel, Hebrews 3 and 4 puts the promised land, the land of milk and honey, as a picture of rest. A, a prosperous land. I'll talk about that on Sunday in our Sunday morning service. A prosperous land. Everyone say milk and honey. Employ your minds over that the next few days until Sunday. What on earth? Why did God not call the land onions and oranges? Why two specific commodities? This land flows with milk and honey, right? Why not bread and butter, right? Why not wine and something else? Two specific commodities are chosen. This land for you will be one of milk and honey, okay? Now, and Israel says no. Now, the writer of the book of Hebrews says, those people made a decision not to enter the rest of God. And it says in verse 6, Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had a good, the good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience. Now, the moment you read that, you conclude the key to enter rest is what? Obedience. Everyone say obedience. Right? Obedience is an, is an essential key to enter this rest. Come on, say it again, obedience. You're going to hear me like a scratch record. Say it again, obedience. If I can just get you to obey, you're going to come into your rest quicker. If you can just make up your mind today, I am going to obey God no matter how hard it is, no matter how what the cost, whether I have to speak and take my flesh and beat it and say you will not be lured into temptation. You will obey the Lord. You will obey the requirement of the Lord. Right? Whether my flesh is, my mind of my soul is saying one thing, but my spirit is saying one thing. If I can get everyone to really, 
I need to stress this. You must diligently obey, not just obey. Uh, words like in Deuteronomy, thou shalt be careful to obey all that is written in the law. This is not fleeting observance. I want the house to go into diligent obedience where you don't, for one innocent in your mind, error. You think you can rationalize and say, God won't mind, or I'll do this and I'll repent afterwards because I know God is gracious. Even that kind of thinking is archaic, not part of the system of this house. Now, um, I love what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5. When your obedience is complete, I'm not sure how you phrase this. When your obedience is complete, he said, then you can punish all other disobedience. Maturity brings completeness to your levels of obedience. Because you're going to enter your rest far more quicker. This place where principles work for you and you're doing very little. But the principle is fueled, heightened on your behalf. Come on, say it again, obedience. There's one thing you need to leave. Leave here tonight resolving to be more seriously obedient. You're going to come into a position of greater rest. And you know, God is now living in a seven-day position. It's the place from which he functions. He doesn't function from any other place outside of rest. That's why in Israel's natural economy instituted a law. You work for six days. On the seventh day, no one is to, to work at any level. It was so serious, it was punishable by death. God wanted the nation to literally physically live in a principle, a spiritual principle that he has literally set for himself. He's a God of rest. Now, so they could not enter because of unbelief. I'm dying to get into Sunday's message. I wish we could do it now. Right? You don't want to miss Sunday. It's going to be awesome. Right? I'll show you how this thing practically works out. Yeah, I'm just laying the, we're digging the trench, we're putting the daga in, etc. We're putting a firm foundation of understanding for some of the things we need to declare to you. Amen? So, we're building line by line, precept upon precept. Don't just throw statements out if you don't, not properly anchored. Hebrews 9 says the following, verse 19. 3 verse 19. To whom did he swear they will not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient. So we see they were not able to enter because of what? Unbelief. So there's two reasons. Disobedience and unbelief. What is unbelief? Unbelief is a lack of faith. Lack of trust, right? A lack of faith and a lack of trust in God. Could you note, unbelief is a lack of faith and trust, exhibiting no confidence in the reliability of God's nature and the certainty of His promise vested in and through His Word. Just think about that statement. Eh? When you say, God, I don't believe you, when you say, God, I have no faith in what you promise you can do, what you are really saying to him is, you, God, are extremely unreliable. I have no confidence in the reliability of your character. It, it, your actions are saying to him, cannot be trusted. Right? Spurious. Whenever we express unbelief, we are saying both God's nature or character and his word cannot be trusted. On the contrary, when we express faith through, through obedience, we testify to the 
absolute reliability of His nature and His word. Amen? Tell your neighbor He can be trusted. He's reliable. Come on, declare He's reliable. He's trustworthy. Tell your neighbor He's a credible God. And He's worthy of your trust. He's worthy of your faith. He's worthy of your belief. If He said something and He's leading you into something, you're going to come into a greater level of rest when you can do two things. When you can have faith in Him, believe in Him, and when you can actively obey. Unbelief and disobedience will cause you to come short of the level or the state of rest that God has in store for you. Hmm? I hope you're all having peaceful night's sleep. You know, one of the expressions of rest is when you can sleep. You can have a mountain of problems. Let me just say this. Rest doesn't mean the absence of trial or problems. Uh, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Please don't get this impression you're going to leave now and hunky-dory. Right? Rest. No, no, I think you, I even think after hearing this, your issues are going to escalate. So God is, God is giving you this word to posture you how to navigate through your, through your issues. Okay? You can be in the midst of the storm like Jesus was in the boat, but he was sleeping on a pillow in the back part of the boat demonstrating this to his disciples how that you can sleep, which is the highest form of rest, in the midst of a great storm. Amen? Rise up and still say, peace, be still. You can't command the storm externally until you've mastered the storm internally. You've got no business commanding things outside of your world when inside you there's a raging tempest. So first, be a master of your internal rest. You know, this is going to be powerful. I can just see where this is going. Some of us want to call and name forth and declare and command with the words of our mouths. And sometimes we lack the authority because those words issue forth from an internal position that knows no rest. Right? I picture Jesus at Lazarus' tomb. Huh? He's like calm, cool. Jesus was the most coolest dude I've ever seen. Calm, collected. Guys can throw a question at him. You see, it's designed to trick him. Just looks at them like this. It is, it is written. And he'll, he'll respond, you know. He was a cool dude, eh? The picture of peace, the picture of perfect rest was Jesus, eh? Unfazed, unseated by anything that ever... He says, I'm gentle, I'm lowly and humble of heart. Learn of me. Take my yoke upon you. Find rest for your souls. Everyone say humble and gentle. I didn't focus on that in the study because it's not part of what we're doing, but part, it's all in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Humility and gentleness. Everyone say humility and gentleness. And just to be humble, to be quiet, to have a quiet internal disposition about you in itself is disarming to an enemy. They expect a reaction. They expect a fight, but you just calm. You're demonstrating rest. And when you can demonstrate rest, you demonstrate authority. Where are we? Right at the bottom. Hebrews 4.13 says we must be diligent to enter that rest. That no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. For the, and look what it says there. Eh? It goes straight into the power of the word. Eh? It says don't fail. I mean, you must be diligent to enter that rest. You should circle and or, or highlight the word diligent there. In other words, 
is this a matter that is light? Can we skimp over this? This is something that we must be diligent over. Okay? We must be diligent over this issue. And for me, now I'm going to address anything that unseats my rest. That threatens my rest. It causes me to go into unrest at times. You must talk about it if you're husband and wife. If you, have, if you have unrest about issues. Say we need to have calm and peace and rest about this issue. Right? Establish the principle. There's going to be a new operating principle in all your homes. It's going to call, be called rest. Amen? Rest, 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 rest. For the word of the Lord is living, active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and bare before him, before, bare to the eyes of him, sorry, with whom we have to do. Like that statement. Nothing is hidden from God. He sees everything, and it's with him that we, we have to do. So be diligent to enter that rest. And you're going to enter the rest by the observation of the word of the Lord. Amen? By the word of the Lord. Now, quickly, um, just to, to the last paragraph there. The promised land, when compared to Egypt, in many respects encapsulates a land of tremendous prosperity on all levels. God deliberately pointed out to Israel that the new land is, God said this, the land that you're entering, God deliberately said, it's not like the land of, of Egypt. Let me ask you, did they have rest in Egypt? For 430 years, there was literal unrest. There were slaves in a foreign land, right? God wanted to break the yoke of, of, of slavery from, from off of these people, okay? And uh, we're going to examine this more on, on Sunday and then in the next Esom session. This contrast between Egypt and the land that they're about to enter. Initially, the 12, the 10 spies gave a negative re- report which impacted the whole nation. So a whole nation aborted the plan of God to enter into a new realm, a prosperous land, milk and honey, absolute rest. The Bible says a land that the Lord God, His eyes are always on it. Right? A land flowing with hills and valleys, flowing with milk and honey, etc., etc. But we're going to need a a mindset. Everyone say thinking. A mindset, right? They did not have the right soul, mind of the soul, when they viewed the opposition. The giants saw themselves as grasshoppers. And I'll, I'll explain this later on. But I just want to stress how so important 3 John verse 2 is. You're only going to prosper as your soul prospers. If your thinking is not commensurate with God's thinking, not in a line with how he thinks, you are not going to enter the level of rest and prosperity that God has for you. God gave them the commandment. Go up, go in, possess the land. They said, we are not able. God said, you are able. Caleb was the only one, and Joshua said, we are well able. Two agreed with God. Ten says, God said that we feel this. Our thinking says this. Right? And that aborted Rest for the soul. The soul wasn't prospering, hence they did not prosper externally. So just to remind you, those bullet points there. 
For the soul to prosper, it needs to return to its rest. It must be free from carnality and fleshly pursuits. Remember, the, 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 the Bible says the flesh wars against the soul, right? Uh, in Lot's case, it vexed his soul. So a, a, a soul that's at rest, listen carefully, is a soul not still contending with the lure, the pull towards fleshly indulgence. You've resolved that matter. By now in the series, that matter should be history as far as you are concerned. Right? Should have mastered that by now. That is not an issue. We are busy focusing on other issues. Amen? So, master your flesh. Tell your neighbor, master your flesh. You must master. That's what God said to Cain. Sin is crouching at your door, waiting to pounce on you, but you must master it. It must not master you. It's pointless us going on with the series if you are still involved with, uh, with carnal fleshly indulgence. You know why? It will forever cause leanness to your soul, like it did in Israel. And all these things we are talking will for you every Friday or every Wednesday that we meet be purely an academic exercise in the Word. Nothing more, nothing less. It is very, very serious that you live a holy life. It is very, very important that your life is circumspect before God. It is critically important that you keep your thoughts pure. Every part of you spotless and blemishless before the Lord. This, the rest for your soul that is found by learning the principles of Christ will only come to a pure soul. Right? So, give diligence. Don't treat these matters lightly. Third bullet. The soul must submit to the hearing of the word in the spirit. It must be filled with trust and faith in what is heard. It mustn't go into unbelief and a lack of faith, then disobedience. It finds rest through what? Through obedience to God's word. It finds rest through obedience to God's word. It sustains rest through consistent obedience, simply in acting eternal principles, not striving to work the result through human intellect or rationalization. Stop striving to produce your Ishmael. When God promised you, I'll get you Isaac my way. Some of us want to make advance in God or in life. I'll be pulling the strings left, right, and center. Manipulating here, manipulating there. To try and get a result that we have some fruit, that there's some evidence of growth in our lives. No. You can just produce something in your flesh that's going to oppose what God has determined for you in your spirit. Okay? So rest and do it God's way. Just, I'm so, I feel this burden in my spirit right now so heavily. Stop striving to get ahead in the flesh. I'm not saying to be lazy, but stop pushing. And you, you know it's not God. You know it's not God. You know you're doing things. The Lord says, just stop and rest. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Right? Just rest in God. And see what God will produce in and through your life. Okay. Rest. Look at this verse in Isaiah 58. Jesus is Lord. I hope we finish. 
I entitled this, I couldn't find an apt description for this, the subsection, so I just put it like this. Rest and rebuild the ruins, restore the breach, restore the streets, and so ride the heights of the earth and be fed with the heritage of Jacob. This is Isaiah 58, powerful portion. You know Isaiah 58 is the fasting chapter, Old Testament, right? But it, it, it represents a fasted life, right? And in verse 12, part of the blessing that comes to those who live a fasted life unto the Lord is the following. Those from among you will, I like all the R's in this passage, rebuild the ancient ruins, raise up, it should be highlighted, raise up age-old foundations, repair the breach, restore the streets, four R's there, rebuild the ruins, raise up age-old foundations, repair the breach, and restore the streets. What term comes to your mind when you see that? What's that or? Which, which ministry does all of this? The apostolic ministry. Right? Apostol, apostles are, are restorers, rebuilders, repairers right? of, the, of the breach. But listen, what do all of our prophecies say we're going to be? Hey, we've had this in so many multiple prophecies, phrases like this. We're going to be repairers of the breach. Where there's a breach, where there's brokenness, we come to men. We are recon. Reconciliators, reconcilers. Reconciliation is our ministry. If, listen carefully, if because of the Sabbath, you can write rest there. Sabbath here is rest, translated rest. Now, let's reread this. It says, if because of the Sabbath, you turn your foot away from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, and you call the Sabbath a delight, a holy day of the Lord, honorable, and honor it, desisting from your own ways, and seeking your own pleasure, and speaking your own word. Then, verse 14 kicks in. But first, before we look at verse 14, look at verse 13 again. God is saying, notice how it's phrased, if because of the Sabbath, the rest principle, you turn your foot away, so your, your foot or your pathway is going, doing your own thing, seeking your own pleasure, speaking your own word. God said, if because of the rest principle, you don't do your own thing. Seek your own pleasure. Speak your own word because you have put a high premium on this principle called rest. If because of the Sabbath, you turn your foot away from doing those things, declares the Lord. Everyone say obedience. So for me, it's living in the culture of self-denial. There's no selfish ambition. There's total obedience. In fact, you don't even speak your own words, right? So, now that, tell your neighbor, divest yourself of your opinion. <laughs> it's like, you even hold, I have a view, but I don't even speak my own words. I will bow to the word of the Lord. And God says, listen carefully, I like this because it really brings it out. I like the image of turning the foot. God said, if because of the rest, you regard... You don't want to violate the rest principle in your life. So you, in your life, you, you turn your foot away from seeking your own pleasure on my holiday. Right? Doing your own thing. Even speaking your own opinion. In deference or preference for God's view on the issue. God says then. Now, you can write in verse 14, prosperity. Verse 14 is a verse of prosperity. 
blessings are going to come upon you if you simply master the rest principle. And it says, you will ride. What does it say? The Lord, you will take delight in the Lord. I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. Right? I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. For the mouth of the Lord has, has spoken. Turn over page 6 quickly. The mouth of the Lord has, has spoken it. And I, I, I told you about all the R's. Repair, rebuild, restore, etc. Describe an apostolic mandate of reforming, returning, and realigning things back to God's original design. Amen. Verse 13 describes the kind of people that are eligible to do the work in verse 12. Are you apostolic? Talk to me. Are you apostolic? Right? Now, if you, you are apostolic, if you can master the principle of rest. Right? The overriding message of verse 13 is the desisting of doing your own thing, deriving your own pleasure, speaking your own words. From these things, we must turn the foot away. There is a deliberate setting aside of your own inclination in preference for that which pleases God. A willful, deliberate setting aside of how you feel about things. Right? I want to say this to all of you. Set your opinion aside. For most times, our opinions are not of God. They're how we feel and get God's view of it. Most times, the view on the matter will be the words of your spiritual father on the matter. Hmm? Set aside. And God says, just check me out. I will cause you to ride the heights of the, of the earth. Look at the bottom there. Verse 14. With the boulder, you will ride the heights of the earth. It indicates a governmental position of power and privilege. This, the word heritage actually means... Um, at, the, at the bottom, the heritage of Jacob means heirloom, estate, and inheritance. Right? I want to go into the actual detail of the word. But just the words at face value. I'll cause you to ride on the heights on the earth. And I will feed you or nourish you with the heritage, the estate, the heir, inheritance of Jacob. You can just take Jacob and you can say, Every blessing that was attendant in Jacob's life, I will come into. Right? And Jacob was a wealthy man. Right? Jacob gave birth to the structure of Israel, the 12 tribes, his sons, right? through his two wives. All those blessings become yours. Right? Now, look at, at the top. Above that, I've got EG there. Just before the EG, I wrote, you must call the Sabbath a delight, God says. Call the rest principle your delight and call the rest principle your holy day. In other words, we must give the issue of rest for the soul high premium in our lives. This is not a light issue. This is a very, very important issue. Say after me, repair, rebuild, restore. Now, look at the example. If you're going to enter the grace and anointing of being a repairer, rebuilder, restorer, then in all your relationships, you must seek to have peace. Everyone say peace. There's so much fracture relationally in the church today. So much. And you must be an active reconcil reconciler, a restorer. Right? 
You know, the devil has so wired to destroy your rest because he wants to destroy your prosperity. And you got to, if some of us here in this church have experienced attack from the enemy, you're not responsible, you're not the victim, you're not the cause, but you become embroiled in the process. And sometimes you, you engage the process inaccurately. Dhamma said this to us on, on, at Dialogues on Wednesday. He said the apostolic move has come around now the second time. There's like a revisitation of the Lord. And he said, he does not think, God is giving us a second chance, he says. Second chance, God is giving everybody a second chance. He says, he does not think beyond this. He honestly doesn't think. And it was very serious when he said this, that there will be another chance after this. This is like the fight. God is saying, you know, Israel, they just said, the 10th fire said we can't. He says, well, I'll make all of you die. I'll wait 40 years. Your kids will rise up. They will enter. And God is saying to us, prophetically through our patriarchal father, a prophetic word has come to us from Wednesday. God is saying to everyone, I give you another chance. Give you another chance to correct the wrong in your life. And I'm saying in the area of relationships, start to be the rebuilder, the repairer. The head, you will ride the heights of the earth and you will be fed with the heritage of, of Jacob. An heirloom, an estate will come to you, an inheritance um, akin or related to Jacob, which is related to the blessing of Abraham, which in Christ will come to you. The blessing of Christ himself will come upon you. And um, I was looking, when I, I knew I was going to be teaching on rest. So in the week, I decided to rehearse all Thamo's teachings on the principle of rest. And please, if I wrote it right at the back of your notes, where to find it. It's on his site, March 2010, ASIM. Four sessions he taught on the principle of rest. Please, if you want to amplify and deepen your understanding of this principle, please go on to his site, www.thamonaidu.com. Go on to resources, click the tab, then go on to Apostolic School of Ministry, click that tab, search down for March 2010, click that tab, and then all the sessions will come up. They are very, prop, uh, uh, very well labeled. Look for the principles on rest. I've isolated the sessions here at the back of the, of the note. Just intensify and deepen your understanding. And I copied this phrase. He said this. It's in Times Roman Italics. I knew I was delivered from the hurts, from hurt and pain when I started feeling sorry for the people that hurt me. This is when anger became tears of compassion. Then you know you are at rest. So when, you know when you are delivered from the hurt and pain of an issue, when if someone reviles you, speaks negatively against you, hurts you, when you start feeling sorry for those that hurt you and you don't react calmly or as a natural man, then you know you've mastered that domain in your soul that has the potential to be hurt. And you, you, see, you respond more out of love, empathy, kindness, and compassion for the one intending to hurt you than you ruminating on the hurt intended to be inflicted upon your own soul. Then you know, my soul, because you know the enemy attacks your soul. He wants to bruise and dent you there. Cause unrest and anxiety, sleepless nights in the domain of your soul. Right? 
And Talmud further says here, when the anger became tears of compassion, he knew he had entered into rest in his soul. Okay? I don't want to put too much emphasis on him, but he's one of the most restful people I know. Composed, reposed, calm, um, controversial, but at total peace. Hated by many, misunderstood by many, but loving his enemies. Right? Keeping his soul untainted, uncluttered, pure and innocent before the Lord. Amen? Be like that. Tell your neighbor, be like that. Be like that. You come from terrible warfare and you walk unstained. And you walk with the brightness of God's light still shining in your soul. God says, I can prosper that soul. I'll prosper that man. I'll prosper that soul. You only prosper as your soul prospers. So be free from any hurt. Forgive quickly. Don't harbor bitterness, resentment, anger. Say, my soul, you will be at rest. Soul, you will be at peace. Soul, um, you will be free. You will be prosperous because I'm only going to prosper in every other respect as you, soul, prosper. Tell your neighbor this is very important. Very important. You are not going anywhere in prosperity if you sit there with hurt and pain in your soul. Going nowhere very, very fast. Hmm? It is that serious. But when somebody can say all men of ill against me, and I don't allow that to settle, but rather my major concern in the area of my soul is for their well-being, and I pray blessing upon them. I'm demonstrating to God I'm at total peace. I'm at total rest. Like Stephen, I can say to my stoners, forgive them. And I activate the son out of a seated position. And he rises. Hey, who's on the earth? Who's this on the earth that is activating something that is so like me, is causing me to respond to him in such a manner? Right? Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them because they know not what they do. You know, ignorance on the part of your offender is the greatest motivation to forgive. <laughs> Jesus did that. Why did Jesus say forgive them? They don't know what they do. They may know what they do. In fact, what they do might be calculated, deliberate, full compass mentors. They know exactly what they do from their point of view. But from your point of view, you say they might be deliberate, knowledgeable in what they're doing, calculated in their, t in their intent for my d demise, dragging my reputation to the mud. They know what they're doing. But when you forgive, you say, Father, forgive them. Because while they know, they don't know. They're acting in ignorance. They're acting like men, unenlightened in the spirit. I always say this. One of my favorite principles of forgiveness. Everyone say principles. Activate the principle and enter into rest. God set the world regulated by principles. Relationships have principles. When an enemy comes up against you, you say, I bless you, I forgive you. It's a principle that God has instituted in the earth to govern relationships. You enter your rest by obeying a principle, despite how you feel. Hmm? Serious. Serious. 
This church must be bitter free. Hurt free. Everyone say hurt free. Serious. You know what's going to hinder our corporate prosperity? If we sit here with hurts, suspicions and anxieties regarding each other in our hearts and minds. The corporate soul. You know the Bible says all the company of the believers were of one heart and one soul. That's another lesson for another time. But how are we going to get to a place called one soul? When everyone's souls individually are all over the place. All in different. We have come into a corporate expression of a whole complete soul before the Lord. Amen? It's possible. It's possible. Husbands and wives, talk about this tonight if you have to. Say, honey, we're not sleeping. Rest for the soul. Why are you laughing at me? I'm involved tonight. I can see Mary of a discussion. I'm just joking. Talk to your neighbor, talk not your neighbor, to your husband or your wife. And say, if there's any sense of let's resolve, let's let's talk. There might not be an issue or problem. Say, how can we go forward? How can we pre- prevent things from causing unrest within the domain of our souls? Amen. Okay. Let's put this on. Bottom of page six. So you all fine with that? Come on, say with me. You'll ride the heights of the earth. Get these terms into your spirit. Ride. The, I say when I pray, Father, I want to be a repairer. I pray. I want to be a rebuilder. There's all these things in my mind. I, I want to be the, reconcil- the reconciler of men. To do that, I will forgive. You know what I thought that, that burdened my heart today with? A thought that God just impregnated me with. Do you know what forgiveness means in the Greek? It means to untie and to let go. Like setting a prisoner free. Right? To to let loose. Literally means to let loose. Do you know um, every seventh year in Israel was a Sabbath, Sabbath year? In that year, the whole year, the seventh year, the whole of the seventh year, the fields lay until... God said, let the, let the ground replenish itself. Seven years. Right? Seven years. In the 49th year, think about it, seven times seven. In the 49th year, it was also like a seventh year in the cycle. The land rested, but also in the 50th year, which was the jubilee. Number 50. And in the jubilee year, all slaves were set free. All debts were canceled. If you owe anybody anything, if you were wise, you would have gotten it by the 48th year. Because by the 50th year, you, the law required you, you, you cancel everybody's debt. God said this to me. If you can't, if you're trusting me for supernatural debt cancellation financially, but you can't forgive someone that's hurt you, relationally, doesn't match up. If you're going to enter this culture of forgiveness and cancellation of debt, make sure every personal debt you have, you've released everybody from it. Otherwise, if it doesn't work relationally, I can't enact it financially. Hmm? I always say this, and I sound like a, like, a, like a repeated, repeating parrot. I really believe for this house, more than any other principle, relational prosperity is going to, thing, is going to be the factor that's going to turn every other expression of prosperity. Get your relationships right and just see 
how God does it. If you don't trust me, try it for a month. Just say, let me give this thing a try for a month. Let me try. Tell yourself this. I'm not going to think bad about anybody. I'll give everybody the benefit of the doubt, like I've been saying. I won't question somebody's motives for doing anything, good or bad. I will just say, even if they didn't greet me, there was a reason for it, but they got nothing against me. What are you doing to yourself? You are keeping your soul free from any kind of vexation. Right? You know how much we mull over things that are not true most of the time. And guess what? You rob yourself of sleep because you're thinking too deeply. Right? If you release and release and release, just try it. Tell your neighbor, just try this. Just give it a try. Say, what, what's the day today? 13th of September. Say, from the 13th of September to the 13th of October, I'm going to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. Okay? I haven't been doing it for the past 40 years of my life. What's one month if I just try it? Right? Let me just see if, if, if God will not begin to work. Some of us are not putting these words into action. See if God will not work. You get an enemy. I'm sure you all have enemies in your workplace. That colleague that just riles you. You all have one of them. They're everywhere. I know, they're everywhere. Some of you have more than one. How's about sending them a gift, a nice email, blessing them? When you walk past them, surprise them. Just maybe by starting a conversation, how are you? How are your kids? Is it going well? Just do something practically to, to get the tendency to respond carnally, the natural inclination towards somebody that you don't get on well with. Just start changing little things in your life and see. I prophesy, see what the Lord will do with you. See what the Lord will do with you. Again, I, I couldn't get away from this. God is saying to me, you're having a struggle releasing debt relationally. And you want me to cancel your financial debt. It doesn't work. Hmm? So I'm a repairer, I'm a rebuilder, restorer. I will ride the heights of the earth. And I've been praying before God, I will access the heritage of Jacob. You will feed me. You will feed me with. Right. Next, next principle. Jesus is Lord. Next principle. Okay, we won't finish this tonight. I thought we would. Everyone said the unique principle. What were eunuchs? Or eunuchs, as some people say. There, there are various roles and various um, expressions of the unique principle throughout history. One primary one was eunuchs were... Uh, king's chief servants. Their responsibilities were to take care of the king's wife, the king's bride, the bride-to-be and even the wife of the king. Right? right? They were to give her their full attention. They were usually males who were emasculated. They were castrated right? because they worked in such close proximity to the, the king's bride. Right? And the responsibilities were simply to prepare this bride daily, so that when the king saw her, she, by her presentation, would please his heart. Right? The fact that they were emasculated and castrated meant they had no fleshly inclination toward the bride. Right? Um, they, in a sense, symbolically indicate people that have mastered fleshly temptation, but they can work closely with the bride, yet not 
violate the king's bride. The bride for us is the church. The king is God. There's a group of people on the earth called eunuchs that God wants to raise up to prepare his bride, the church of Christ, so that we can, he can present to himself a bride without spots, having no wrinkle or, or blemish, as the word declares. Amen? So tell your neighbor by faith you are eunuch. What we are saying is, you have a very privileged position in the royal, in the royal courts. You, in fact, you're in the chambers of the king. Right? You have access to the bedroom right? to prepare his bride. He gives you his most cherished position. It's a highly trust, trustworthy position. Right? You are not given to your own pursuits. In fact, naturally, you will never able to, be, to bear a son yourself. You can't father somebody, right? You've got no natural offspring. Your only concerns is that I must prepare the bride so that she can produce an offspring for the king, right? I use all my energies to develop, listen, not my own sons, to develop sons who's got the king's DNA, not mine, who's got the king's genes, the king's identity, the king's character, that's the sole purpose of the eunuchs of, of that day. And um, there's a lovely scripture. I should have put it in here in Matthew. It says, eunuchs for the kingdom's sake. Right? We are eunuchs for the kingdom's sake. So with that in mind, read Isaiah 56, verse 4. Thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who do what? Who keep my? What is Sabbath? Sabbath is? So God is saying to this group of people, I believe an apostolic community, that observe the rest principle and choose what is pleasing to me and hold fast to my covenant. To them, listen carefully what God says, I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name that is better than that of sons and daughters. Right? We all think sonship is the... Right? God says there's a name better than son. It's called eunuch. God says, I will give you a name better than, than son and daughter. And God says, I will give them an everlasting name which shall never be cut off. In the natural, they are cut off because they can't produce offspring that can bear and immortalize their identity. But God says in the spirit, you, eunuch, have an everlasting name, an identity in the spirit. A name depicts identity. Never be cut off. Foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, Love the name of the Lord to be his servants, everyone who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and holds fast to my, to my covenant. Go on the next page quickly. So what the eunuch, in this verse, God presents the unique idea with the person that observes the rest principle, the Sabbath, right? So we're going to enter into this role um, embodying all the principles of rest. So if we consider the principle and the idea of the eunuch, we can summarize it like this, the bottom of page 7. Rest is a position where of no selfish, self-centered, carnal ambition. A quality facilitated by the mastery over the flesh, like the eunuchs. A desire to only serve the interests of God, expressed by a preoccupation with the preparation of the bride of the Lord. Okay? The eunuch. It's a serious high calling this. So I ask myself, 
like, you know, if, if I wanted to test myself, God, Randolph, have you fully entered your rest? Against this unique principle, principle, I must ask myself those four things. Is there any selfish, self-centered, or carnal ambition in you? Right? Have you mastered all your flesh, Randolph? Do you desire to only serve the interests of God, not your own? Do you express a preoccupation with preparing the church for Him? Right? Then you are a eunuch in the, a eunuch in the kingdom. Amen? That is part of your, your rest expression. Amen?